Walking Dead, there's like a massive hit, but there's not just, there's like The Walking Dead, and then there's like a, some, some other part to it called like Fear the Walking Dead, and then there's like, like commentary shows where they comment on the, what happened in The Walking Dead.
the truth and love. And that means that if there's a conflict between what God wants and what we want and what the world wants, we need to choose God's way. And the last week we got to Thyatira, and we talked about false teaching, and, and we learned that we should examine every teaching and every teacher to make sure that they're in line with the truth of God's word. That false teachers and false teaching are going to lead us away from the truth and love and from holiness and have us doing all sorts of bad things. So we're going to avoid false teaching and false teachers. But when you don't do all that stuff, you sort of end up with Sardis. And we're going to see the results of that here as we see Jesus talking about sending his spirit to the church. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You know, this is, this is one of those things. If, you, if, you, if you've ignored the Old Testament your whole life, and you see that seven spirits of God, that could mess you up, right? Well, oh, that's God got seven spirits? What? What? Right? Now, whenever you see the number seven in the Bible, you should be thinking the idea of completeness, of fullness, right? There's a lot of like seven years to finish the plan for Israel. When Jesus, when Peter asks, you know, how many times should I forgive? Jesus tells him 70 times seven, right? A lot of sevens and all that. Um, so that sort of idea. And so in the Old Testament, you have the Holy Spirit represented by the number of seven sometimes. So in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Spirit is given seven titles. In Zechariah 4, 1 through 10, the, the, the Holy Spirit is represented as a lampstand with seven lamps. Okay? So when you got seven spirits and seven stars here, it's not the idea that God has seven spirits. It's the idea, you know. In that sense, it's the idea that all of God's spirit is present here, that Jesus has the fullness of all of God's spirit descending on us, that he, he is fully in tune with or fully part of with the spirit, um, which, of course, we understand when we think about the idea of the Trinity, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all together, Jesus and fullness of the spirit. As you recall, Jesus promises his disciples after he would die and rise again and send, he would send his spirit to them, right? John 15, 26, he says, When the counselor comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So Jesus says, look, when I go, I'm going to send the spirit. And he's going to talk about me. And of course, that promise is fulfilled at the day of Pentecost, right? When the church is together, and the Holy Spirit descends on them, and on the newly formed church, Peter preaches the sermon and that sort of thing. And from that point on, in the New Testament, we have all true believers in Jesus given the presence of God's Spirit in their lives. And so Jesus comes, representing himself or bringing the idea of the Spirit to the church of Sardis, not so much as a judge, but as the idea of him giving the Spirit, as the sender of the Spirit. And that's going to help us understand what Sardis is lacking and why they are the zombie church. Second half of verse 1 says, I know your works. 
you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, when I think of things I don't want to hear from Jesus, that's got to be pretty much up there, right? You are dead. They had the outward appearance of life, but they were spiritually dead. I mean, they could fool the world, but they weren't going to fool Jesus. They were doing things that looked good. But inwardly, they were not truly spiritually alive. You see, people can work, work hard and, and look like they're doing all sorts of things for the Lord and, and doing all sorts of things that look good, but not be truly followers of Jesus. Because those kind of works are not going to save you. I mean, the Sardis' works may have looked good, but they were alive. They were, they were the spiritual equivalent of zombies. And that's how Jesus describes them. He says, yeah, you're working, you're doing something, you're moving Dead. Dead. Now you understand, all world religions outside of Christianity teach some sort of variance on you must do whatever, X number of things to be acceptable to whatever higher powers there are. Okay? You must do this, you must, you know, you must go to Mecca and you must uh, do the five pillars of that, whatever. Okay. God's word flips that on its head and says, it doesn't matter how many things you try to do. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of us have become like one who's unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf, like the wind, our sin and sweep us away. Because Christianity teaches the opposite. You can't do enough to make up for your sin. So God, in Jesus, has come and done what needs to be done for you on the cross. Now, when I say that, okay, or when you read Isaiah, that doesn't mean that, that some people don't do some earthly good things. Do people who don't know Jesus sometimes do some good things? They do, don't they? Can they not give to good charity? Of course they can. Can, they, can, can someone who doesn't know Jesus um, rush into a burning building and, and, and save someone from a fire? I mean, would anybody say that's not a good thing? Good thing, right? good things. But what Isaiah and what the rest of the Bible is trying to communicate to us is that whatever earthly good we do is not going to solve our sin problem. Because our sin problem taints everything. Makes it all like filthy rags. It's, there, it's not some cosmic balancing act where God is up in heaven kind of hanging out, you know. Got this set of scales, Right? Kind of like, well, I'll put all the good works here. Put all the sins over here and see if they're done. It doesn't work like that. He's done giving me a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a balancing act. And we see that with this church in Sardis. They, they may have been busting their butts doing whatever, thinking they were doing it for Jesus. But it wasn't getting them one iota closer to God. Because they lacked the one thing they needed to actually serve God the way he requires, and that is the presence of the Spirit of God. Because that is the mark of true belief. Let's go to verse 2 and 3. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come again. 
Now you notice Jesus tells them that their works are not complete. Well, what's incomplete about their works? Because I mean, first that sort of sounds like, wait a minute, is he telling them to do more? When I read that, the works are not complete, I think, oh, well, instead of, you know, working with the homeless people, you know, on the road from Philadelphia, they really were supposed to be working with the disabled people, you know, on the road to Thyatira. No, that's not what he's talking about. Because he gives us kind of the answer in the next, the next verse. They were not keeping what they had received and heard, right? That's what he says. Remember what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Well, what did they, whenever you see that, when John uses that, right, in his letters, what we received and heard, what's he talking about? Gospel. Oh, gospel, yes. What we received and heard is the gospel. And if they didn't repent of their sins and embrace the truth of the gospel, they're not going to be ready to do anything for Jesus. Our service for the Lord is only going to be acceptable when it's empowered and sanctified by His Spirit, which we can only have if we have truly embraced the gospel, if we're truly believers. If we've truly repented of our sins and trusted Jesus as our only Savior and our only salvation, we receive the Spirit, which then enables us to please God. The Spirit is the mark of the believer. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you have the Spirit, you belong to Him. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. The Holy Spirit is the mark of the Christian. Jesus present with us through His Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Life, right? But Sardis was called dead. So if Sardis is dead and they're to repent and embrace the gospel, then they need the Spirit. The zombie church needs the Spirit to receive true life and true, true God-glorifying work. This is a huge problem in our time. There are lots of churches and churchgoers out there that are zombies. First, we want to make sure that we're not one of them. Zombies. Just people walking around thinking, thinking they're good. Well, we did this or we did that, or I'm a good person. You know? I mean, yeah. I mean, compared to Jeffrey Dahmer, pretty much everybody's a good person. I have never chopped up and put anyone in my freezer for later barbecue. So that pretty much tells me I'm a good person compared to that. Too bad that's not the standard. Man, if Jeffrey Dahmer's the standard, we're everybody in this room is good as far as I know. I mean, as far as I know.
Do what the gospel says. What does the gospel tell you to do? It tells you to change allegiance. It tells you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Put your faith in his death and resurrection. To, and then he says, he says to repent. He says to turn from what you think is doing you some good. And turn to Christ. Turn from your dead works and from your sin and embrace the life-giving grace of Jesus. Our allegiance has to change from ourselves or, or whatever system it is that we trust to following Jesus alone. If not, what does he say? Well, he says back here, he says, if not, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Well, no, that doesn't sound Five times in the New Testament, the idea of this coming like a thief, thief, can't say the word thief this morning, coming like a thief is the idea of, of suddenly judgment comes upon you. And you realize what's coming, and bam, there it is, because that's, that's what a thief is like, right? A thief doesn't come, like, a thief doesn't announce himself and say, hey, coming over to your house about, about, about four in the morning. 30, I don't know, depends on if I stop to, you know, 24 hour Casey to get a coffee on the way. We'll show up at 4.30. Between 4 and 4.30 to rob your house. That's not what the thief does. The thief does, no, but if he does, guess what? The doors are going to be locked. And, you know, maybe I'll have the police waiting for him. Or maybe I won't. He'll get arrested. power of the gospel to come in and resurrect the soul. Look at what Ephesians 2 says. It says you were dead to trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we are all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Zombies, dead, enemies, right? I mean, those are words he uses, right? You're dead. Okay? Following the prince of the power of the air. Children of wrath. But through Christ, we become alive spiritually. God's grace and his mercy. The great thing is when God brings something back to life, when he truly brings it back to life, that life is forever. Which is why Jesus reminds the church in Sardis that their eternal life is eternal. Verses 4 through 6. Yet, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There were some people that had truly embraced Jesus in this church. 
about them, talks about them, uh, they'll walk with me in white. They'll be clothed in white garments. The idea of purity and holiness. Now, I always think it's interesting. In Revelation 7, 9, and 14, for example, you have the, the saints being clothed in white robes. That idea, if you notice, the holiness always in the Bible is presented when it's given this imagery as something you're given and clothed with. He doesn't say they're going to be white. He says they're going to be clothed in white. Now, why would that imagery be that way? The imagery is that way because the holiness does not come from us. It comes from Jesus. That's why it's the idea of giving, giving to someone as a covering. We're given his righteousness, his holiness. This is not ours. I don't have any holiness. We've already found out all, all the things that I personally can do outside of Christ. They're not going to get me any holiness. I can't gin up a bunch of holiness. I'm going to read the word really hard and get me some holiness. No. Can't do it. Instead, Christ can give me his holiness. He can give me his righteousness. That's why it's presented as a garment. Romans 8, 28 and 39. It's kind of a long time. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Just in case he forgot anything previously. Just to be sure. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are you talking about? No, there's nothing out there that's going to separate you from Jesus if you truly follow Jesus. It's not going to separate you. It's not because he said there's, right? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Well, there's all sorts of nasty things that can happen to you. Not going to separate you from the love of Jesus. Might not be pleasant. It's not going to separate you from the love of Jesus. Death of life, angels, rulers, no, no spiritual reality can separate you from the love of Jesus. Things present or things to come, powers, or height or depth, no, maybe you don't like height, it's okay. It's not going to separate you from Jesus. Or anything else you can call it. Nothing's going to separate us from God's salvation and love through Christ when we truly embrace the gospel. Because it's Jesus, he says, who died and he rose again. It's Jesus who sends the Spirit. It's Jesus who keeps us and defends us and calls us his own. I'm not doing that. Jesus is doing that. Only Jesus is the only one that can say, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I can't say that. I, I want to say that. You know what? I want to tell my wife I'll never leave her or forsake her. But you know what? I might be driving tomorrow. And a meteor might fall on my car. You're thinking to yourself, but it could happen. Yeah. And if I'm in the convertible, then I'm really in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Just saying. I can't make her that promise because something might, something might happen. But Jesus can make that promise. He's not going to leave us forsaken. But, Sardis is also proof that we can be deceived, right? Whether by the false teaching like we talked about last week or by our selfish desires or by simply not embracing the truth and love as taught in God's word. And that truth is about Jesus. Because we can look good on the outside. The entire churches can look good, right? I mean, the majority of the, the church at Sardis Sounds like they were they were just not with it. He says that there's a few who have succumbed to this. We're walking around looking like we have life, we'd be full of death. So we need to examine ourselves to be sure that we're truly following the Lord Jesus who died and who rose and will someday return to us. Truly make sure that our allegiance is to him and him alone for all eternity. I think, Lord, one of the scariest things in Scripture is this idea that we can sort of look like we're doing the right things, doing good things, maybe even trying to do them in your name, but really they have nothing to do with you. Jesus, you yourself, tells us There'll come a time of judgment and people will come and say, we did this and we prophesied in your name, we gave in your name, we did this in your name, and Jesus will look at them and be like, I'm sorry, I don't know you. We 
not going to be those people. Help us to examine ourselves and make sure we're truly in touch with you. Make sure we've done as Jesus tells the church to start us to truly believe what we receive in heaven. We truly have the presence of the Spirit in us. That we've truly repented and turned from sin. Realizing that we're not perfect yet, but that we're moving on that path. Because we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that nothing can separate us from Thank you.